Hi, my name is Stephanie Jacques and this is Jacques Talk. Today's episode is special. This is our premiere episode and Michelle Sahin from Privilege to Progress is our guest and she is going to share a bit of her journey and why it is important to desegregate the conversation about race. Enjoy it. We are going to get started in a few minutes. We are just waiting for some more people to jump on and Michelle to come on. Um, and we're going to have a nice conversation to, um, good morning, to um, talk about desegregating race and privilege to progress and Michelle's story. Okay, let me get her right now. Awesome. Let me get her on here. Hi. Hold it on. Hello. Let me. She's just messaged me, so. Here she is. Let me grab her. outside today but we're in the shade hi hi good morning or good afternoon your time yes good afternoon <laughs> how are you i'm i'm doing okay today how are you i'm well i'm well yes i am just getting the volume up i decided to be be outside because um my niece is inside making some noise so i was like let's just go outside yeah, and and if if my connection's spotty, is how's my connect? It's actually good. Spotty? It's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're coming in clear. Okay. Just, very large. Ah, thank you so much <laughs> for joining me today. It's just it's day three. It's just yeah, I love it. <laughs> doing its own thing. I'm like, you, you just be free, girls. Just be free. Thanks for joining me yes. and um, having this conversation about. Um, desegregating the conversation about race. But um, I know a lot of people on, on my platform might not know who you are. So I wanted to start by um, how you came to start um, Privilege to Progress, like what, like your experience that led you to that. So um, it's, it's quite a story. Um, do you remember the story of the two black men who were arrested in the Philadelphia Starbucks yes. in 2018. So that is how Melissa and I got started. Yeah. Um, her and I were complete strangers. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting because I had lived in Philly for about five years at the time. And that specific Starbucks is located in a very gentrified part of Philadelphia. So I would purposefully walk past that Starbucks and I would go an additional four blocks just to go to one deeper in the city that was more diverse, that had a better representation of what the city actually looked like. Cause the city mm-hmm. is very, very diverse. Philadelphia is actually um, uh, a very black city, but that yep. area is I think 70 some percent white of the city. So for some reason, something this day told me to, to go to the Starbucks. I don't, I don't know what it was. I, I now, I believe that it was divine intervention at this point. And I walk in and same scene. I'm the only black woman in there. And, um, you know, about 45 minutes later, you know, two, two black guys walk in and they ask to use the bathroom. The barista says, no, it's for paying customers. They, they sit down. Um, and the next thing you know, you know, two, four, six, eight cops show up to arrest these guys. And, you know, I stood up and I, I started telling everyone what was going on because being the only black woman there, I realized this is good. This is going to be up to me to say something because yeah. no one was paying attention. No one was. And even if they were wondering, they weren't saying anything. They weren't doing anything. Okay. So I stood up and I approached the cops and I approached the barista and um, basically staged a walkout. And Melissa was the only other woman that day to actually verbally address the Starbucks. And we came together, she tweeted the video, it went viral, we were complete strangers, and so we realized that now that the world was talking about what racism actually looks like today, now that the, the you know, 
people started to open their sleepy eyes just a little teeny bit as to what was really going on. We said, okay, we need to open their eyes more. We need to um, continue the conversation that we started about what racism looks like today. And also specifically to use your privilege because Melissa being a white woman sharing that video was so powerful. I mean, it was heard around the world, that story. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure people would have heard that video had I posted it, but we don't know if it would have made the same waves as if a white woman would have, as you know, when, when, when she shared it. So we specifically say use your privilege for progress because she used her privilege as a white woman to share that video to her white friends and to her, to her white network to say, this is what we're dealing with. And we just decided to, to start a campaign and um, just continue that conversation and get people to see their own individual purpose and power in this movement. That, that story, I remember when it came out um, and I learned about it, it, it made me cringe, but I also, growing up in a, a white area of town um, in California, I've experienced, I've experienced that. Not being the only person in a coffee shop that is is black and I'm even light and I'm the darkest person in that room I'm like this mm. this is not normal but people not even noticing I like how you said people didn't even really notice what was going on like they weren't even aware of the act that was happening right in front of them correct do you feel so you feel like if you would have tweeted that video out that it wouldn't have gotten the same media coverage you know, um, I'm not. Sh I'm not sure that that it would have because you know, um, people people always question us. They always second guess us. It's mm -hmm. always are you sure that that. I mean, I even I had I even had someone that that I was friends with that said, "Well, what happened before that?" And I'm like, "Do you not believe me?" Yeah. Do you? And it was it was it was a white man. <laughs> and I'm like, "Do you not? Do you not believe me?" Um, now, it may have, because since I grew up in a white town, I have a lot of white friends, mm -hmm. um, so maybe it would have crossed over. However, you know, Melissa's network was much more white than mine was. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm just not sure if, if, I'm not quite sure if it would have made the same, the same impact. With, I would agree with you. I don't think it would have made the same impact because you have to, people live in their bubbles. Yep. Um, and with everything that's going on right now, I'm noticing people can choose what to see. So they mm have -hmm. had people like mute me or tell me they muted me, block me. I'm like, well, so you're just closing your eyes to correct what I'm posting. They're like, well, it's very negative. I'm like, well, it's very real. It's not, right. I'm not being negative. I'm just speaking truth. Correct. What um, I've experienced and what a lot of people experienced and, I talk a lot because in a weird way, I'm die. I feel like I'm digestible. Um, yeah. In the sense, and, and I even hate using that, but I go, okay, I grew up in a white town. I was raised by a white mom and um, I didn't know my black side till I was a little older into my teens. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my childhood and mm -hmm. the roots that raised me are from privilege like I benefited from my mom's privilege in society. I benefited yeah. with the schools. I benefited in the neighborhood we were able to buy into. I benefited by people being like, okay, we'll hang out with her because that's her mom. Um, Correct. I'm like, so I even feel like I have to use my privilege in that to, to talk about it to the people that might not look at somebody or even go onto a platform of somebody that they don't know. Like they might not even go to your platform because they're just like, I don't know who that is. They like to live in their bubble. I've had to get rid of some people in my life lately that are, that yeah. don't believe that um, white privilege is real or that privilege mm -hmm. is real at all. So mm -hmm. in talking about the, the conversation of using your privilege, I'm seeing a lot of people posting that they're allies, that they are allies to this movement. How do you feel like, what do you think the difference is between being a true ally and being like a performative ally and just like, what do you feel the difference is? I think that to be honest, I think even making a statement that you're an ally is performative. Just saying that you're an ally, that, that in itself is performative because um, you know, at, at our organization, we don't even like to use that word because it's, it, 
um, gives the illusion that you've arrived. And this is a journey. This, yeah. this, this never stops. You can be working towards allyship all the time, but you cannot self-proclaim yourself an ally in your own mind and in your own right because you don't have the experiences or the depth of knowledge to even know necessarily what that should look like. If a black person doesn't say you're an ally, if a person of, a person of color doesn't see you as an ally, I'm sorry, you're probably not an ally. So um, it's something, something that you have to be constantly working at because in our, I know that in our racial identity developments, you can be going through different stages. You can be ahead mm -hmm. one day and then regress another day if you're feeling defensive or, or shameful or, or, or guilty. So there's going to be moments where you're not always the best ally. Um, mm -hmm. And a good ally is someone that recognizes that. A good ally is someone that is constantly reading and educating themselves. A good ally is someone who is um, constantly speaking up in their spaces where they see racism, that they're, they're, they're actually taking action. But an mm -hmm. ally, you're not an ally if all you're doing is just is reading and intellectually comprehending these things without actually going out and doing any type of action. I agree. I've had, I personally had a problem with the word ally because I feel like kind of echoing what you're saying, it shows that you haven't, that you think that just saying that makes you an ally. You think that saying that makes me want to give you a congratulations. Thanks. Thanks for supporting, supporting us. But are you going to be willing to see, to be in those Starbucks and to speak up, to to say the things to your coworkers that might be uncomfortable, to actually stand up for me if you're a friend of mine and you see something happening to me, be that person that they can hear from because they won't listen to me. A lot of people are very shut off to that. And I've seen a lot of right. things, especially in the music business, because um, being a songwriter and writing in the country music space. Mm. It's um, very much, I saw like people posting and posting being like, I got you, I got you. And I'm like, well, we've been here and I haven't seen any allyship. Exactly. Is your quote unquote allyship um, with how you're hiring, how you are, how you are putting an album together, how you are putting us in certain shows and saying, oh, you guys can perform there, but you can't perform there. I haven't seen you taking down Confederate flags in the studio. Like, right. Like those things, like those things matter. Words matter. And I'm, I, I appreciate people posting and, and using their platforms, but I'm also like, you have to use your voice. You have oh, to yeah. Use there, are, there are quite a few people that um, I, I know who at one point I was friends with that I saw posting those black squares. And I know for a fact that they are not speaking up, that they are not doing anything. All they did, I know for a fact that there are a lot of people that all they did was post a black square and that is it. They didn't read anything. They didn't go watch 13. They didn't read, you know, they didn't read um, Black Scholars. They didn't read, you know, Tony Morrison or my they, they weren't actually doing, they weren't doing anything. Um, yeah. It was just incredibly performative. And I, I had actually thought about even unfollowing some of those people, but it's okay, you're, I guess with us, that's one step, but that's one black box in all of your in all of your feed, literally. From the beginning that mm -hmm. you ever started posting ever in your life on Instagram, your entire feed, you have one black square and that's the only thing that you have posted about about what is going on in race relations because it didn't require anything. It didn't require any any reflection. It didn't require that you had to go and actually make a caption. All it requires yeah. is to put on a black square and do a hashtag and that was it. And it was incredibly performative. It was, I even saw people in the country music community that I follow that put on a black square. And then the next day they deleted the black square. Wow. It ruined their aesthetic. But they put it on so people would know that they put it there. And I'm like, so you didn't even, you couldn't even keep the black square there just for, yeah. just for show. I did delete those people because I was like, that is, um. I try to keep people that have differing opinions in my space because I like to be pushed and I like to know what the world looks like. But if you are doing that, that's I have I personally have no place for for that level of performativeness. Like I agree, I can't. And that's like next level. That's <laughs> and I was like, that is bold. I'm like, you're yeah. being what? Like I like I see you very. So, 
and my friends say, mm-hmm. well, like, I see you. I see you over there. And, yep. Yep. And I think I noticed it a lot more also because I am from California. Um, mm-hmm. And I was raised in a very diverse home. But then I moved to the South as an adult. And I... Mm. And I was like, I had already gone to college and I went to an HBCU and I did all that. So I was like, oh, I got this. And then I went there and I was like, oh, you guys just see me as exotic. Because I get called exotic quite a lot. And I get asked for people to touch my hair quite a lot. I get told I talk white all the time by people that think they're being, they don't think they're racist. And I've had these conversations with them recently and they're like, I'm not racist. I'm like, let's just go back what you have said to me and you don't even you're not even aware so let's start reading let's read a book like let's just read about privilege like privilege isn't real and i'm mm-hmm. like well let's read white fragility like maybe don't start with the new jim crow maybe that's mm-hmm. too much for you but that is what our system that's too is much. Like, right 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 like they and they're like that's a heavy book and i'm like why are you saying defund the police and i'm like well do you know what our police system was why it was created do you know mm-hmm. why people are wanting to take down the monuments? Like, have you, mm-hmm. I don't feel like you can be a quote unquote ally if you don't know why we are protesting the things we are protesting. Exactly. And, um, and why we need people that are white to be protesting them. Correct. Because when we protest them, they focus on the riots and they focus on our anger and they focus on our rage and that we're dangerous but if you are white and you protest them or speak up, they, it moves the needle. It moves the needle further, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Would, what are your thoughts um, on the, the monuments and their, their placement and like removing them or keeping them? Like, do you agree with us trying to remove Confederate monuments or presidential monuments? I mean, the obviously the only reason, excuse me, to keep them up is if you're going to change like the the wording on it to make mm-hmm. it factual. <laughs> this man was a white supremacist who owned slaves, who brutalized the enslaved African people, raped, tortured, murdered, um, split up families. Like, if we're gonna keep up those statues, then let's be really explicit as to who those people actually are. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not going to be honest and only give a very, and, and, and pretend like these men are someone to, are people to look up to or people to, to, to admire, then, then it needs to come down. A thousand I agree. Percent. I actually had a conversation and I think I only learned this a few years ago and I'm disappointed in myself because I'm mid thirties and about George Washington and his teeth and in all the yep. books, it says that his teeth are wood. Um, and I was actually talking to my dad who is 70 and he's like, yeah, no, his teeth, his teeth were wood and he's black. And I was like, dad, his teeth weren't weren't wood. They were, they were made out of um, his slaves teeth. Like he would buy slaves for that. Um, and he, and he's like, no. And then he did a Google check and he fact, he's like, he's like, that is horrible. Why are we praising him as a good man? And I was like, he wasn't a good man. He's, he, he, was, he was never, even, even from when I was young, I, I, I realized, I don't know how I, how I knew, but I've known for quite some time that he owned slaves. And I'm like, just that fact alone, all of our, all of our founding fathers owned slaves. Yeah. How many presidents did we have that owned, owned slaves? Them. Many, many, many of them. And none of them to me were good human beings. If you own, if you own other people, you can't be a good person. It doesn't, it doesn't mean to say that you're incapable of being able to do good things, right? Mm-hmm. However, um, these men were not building the country with any plans of letting us be free. Yeah. That was never the plan. The enslaved African people were brought to America specifically to build white wealth. That was their job. There was no yes. plan to give them equality because at every step of the way, when a black person would start to gain a little bit of freedom or whatever, they would purposely create laws and systems and, and policies to further divide the racial lines to say, 
if you are if you are a descendant of slave, you don't have any rights, you know, you're three fourths of a human. I mean, they purposely went out of their way to dehumanize us at, at every at every point, just so they could continue using our bodies to build their wealth. And it's the yeah. same thing today. As I say, it's the same thing that's going on today. Like I've, I've loved the the one quote I've been saying: America's not broken; it's working exactly as designed. And yeah. I think it is working as it was designed. The basis of our country is not meant for mm -hmm. you or I. What our country was built on. So I've heard the argument that well, that was just the time. I'm like, they were still human. They created race. They created that white is better. That was not a true fact. They made that a fact and they made us do things. Do you, how do you feel like we are still enslaved? I know it's a very big question. Because um, people are, I've, I've heard the argument from people that are white and that I've known for years that I wouldn't consider friends, but I keep them on my feed that said, well, you guys, you get to go to school and it's not like you guys are segregated anymore. Like I've seen that kind of conversation. Well, they just, they, they, they just don't realize that we are segregated. We are. Yeah. yeah. It, they're, 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 even though it's illegal, they, they find ways to still segregate us. I mean, you know, um, they redlined for years. Mm -hmm. Those, those communities haven't been, haven't been desegregated. Um, you know, they're, you know, mass incarceration. I don't think people realize this, but, there are so many organizations and companies that use prison labor. Yes. You can buy, you can buy stock. Like me or you, a regular human beings can buy stock in private prisons. Private prisons work. Yeah. Private prisons work as businesses. So you, I mean, companies say, I don't even know how much money, probably hundreds of thousands. Actually. Yeah. Probably hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars by using slave labor. They don't have to pay PTO. They don't have to give you a salary. They don't have to give you health insurance. They don't have to give you any of those things if you're a slave. Mm -hmm. So there's an incentive for there to be bodies in these prisons. There's an incentive for cops to put a young black male with a little bit of weed on him in jail for 10 years. There's an incentive yeah. to do that because you need you bodies. Know, you're getting a little fuzzy, just so you're aware. Oh, really? Uh, I'm actually, like, I, I get, I'm like, I'm at my parents and it's like in the middle um, where am I? Pennsylvania. No, um, yeah, no judgment. Um, just wanted to let you. Just wanted to let you know. I appreciate that. So, yeah, people just don't realize that um, mass incarceration is literally a way to profit off of black bodies. Yes, mass incarceration, private private prisons. Um, see, and I'm out here. These dogs. These my my neighbor's dogs are like. Like they need like dog therapy or something. They're like constantly barking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going back inside. Anyways, okay. I'm sorry for like the, the, the movement. But people no, I'm loving the and tour. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's because again, we're not educated. Or we're not educated about our own system in this country. We have no idea um, the types of things that go on. We have no idea. Like we, we just we just don't realize that. You know, I think what is it? We're we're, we're the we're like the the, the fifth um, fifth most populated. I, I forget I forget the statistics. Basically, we've like we've we've like one of the most populated um, prison systems yes. in the world. Yeah, in the globe. In the globe, um, and it's not because our our citizens are more violent. We're not more violent. We're not more. We don't necessarily. I mean, I, I don't know about 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 crime rates, but. It's always been a strategy. I think it was Lyndon B. Johnson that said something along the lines of, if you can convince the lowest or poorest white man to believe that he is above the lowest or poorest black man, he will basically empty his pockets for you. Yeah. It is a strategy to purposefully, I mean, literally, a president of the United States said this. Yeah. You can look it up. It is, it is anyone yeah. watching this, just Google it. He said that. Um, he has been on record calling people the N-word. Um, so you have to understand that it is in their interest. It is, it is a, a, a design to not have us understand these things. Because when you understand these things, people are going to rise up. People are going to mm -hmm. say, hey, that's wrong. 
there were actually um, quite a few people during, during throughout slavery who spoke out against slavery. And, but they would incentivize people. They would incentivize people to turn their backs on the enslaved African people. Like, if you would turn in a runaway slave, if you would, you know, let them know about, you know, someone that was, that was um, I guess, acting the way that they shouldn't be acting, you know, if, if, if yeah. you're, they, would, they would incentivize white people to turn their backs on enslaved African people and on the Native people. Uh-huh. It's the same uh-huh. thing today. I think that is, that is, it's a very similar tactic by conditioning us to not talk about race. How many, we in this country have been taught, what are the three, three things you don't talk about? Race, religion, politics. Yep. Why? Those are the things that when, when they are so important in the way that we live our worlds, the way that we see each other, our humanity, um, you know, I don't want to get into it too far, but I'm, I'm a very spiritual person, but I'm not religious at all because religion mm-hmm. has been used as a way to justify slavery. Yes. They, they, they justified um, in the creation of even the, the creation of, of race. I think, was it was it Ham? Like way back in the day, one of like Moses' sons was apparently dark skinned and he did something he shouldn't have done. And there, and you know, these white people back in the day said, oh, well, this is just a reason to say, see the, the darker skinned people are cursed. Um, they literally made things up to make hard racial lines to divide us. It's the oldest trick in the book, divide and conquer, divide and Uh conquer. If you can divide people, if you can get them to keep their eyes closed, if you can, if you can incentivize them to not look, you can conquer them. And it's not just us that's being duped. We're just the ones that are aware of it. Yes. And becoming more aware of it. Correct. White people are not, um, aware just how much they have been manipulated for the past 450 years. Yes. And I even look at our, our president now and he's using divisiveness to, to distract. Like a lot of the stuff that's going on is just trying to distract from the movement, like bringing up the monuments and then saying that we are animals and that we are dangerous. And that is the same thing they said when we were slaves that we yeah. were dangerous. That's the same thing that they've always used. And I'm what I'm proud of, the one thing I am proud of is that we are talking about race more. Um, and it is uncomfortable. And I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable talking about it because in their bones and, and how our society is, we've been told not to. So you're basically reprogramming your whole cultural structure to say, no, we need to talk about it. We need to see color. We need to understand how color has played a role in what you have achieved, what you have not achieved. It's just like, if we're going to talk about women's rights, we need to look even back and be like, even when women got the right, black women didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally have had recently people that are grown, grown, say to me you're not that kind of black person so why are you why are you talking like that kind of a black person now I don't know what that kind of a black person means but I can I can interpret what they are saying I am educated I am light-skinned I have a job I work in this world so I'm not a thug or whatever they're they're saying is like the bad kind of black versus the good kind of black which is also how I feel like they've kept us segregated because I'm able to move in worlds where other people's appearances make them not be able to move in worlds because people are scared of them. Like even I I can't even talk about being a black man like in this country at right now, I would have fear. I mean, I'm scared anyway, being who I am, but, um, I was actually going to talk to you about in Nashville, what I noticed and, and I've seen it in other places, even in California, the black communities and where they are, like Nashville is extremely segregated. People go, it's not segregated. Mm -hmm. I'm like, it is. There's train tracks. I know where the black neighborhoods are. I know where the projects Mm -hmm. are. I know who lives in this neighborhood. I know they gentrified. Like a neighbor I lived in, they're like, oh, this neighborhood used to be like really black, but um, now we have good businesses. 
And I'm like, that is not, um, that's not okay. I don't, I don't really believe in gentrification in the sense of, I don't think it's great for our country. Um, I think it's going to happen. We just had a tornado in Nashville. And my biggest worry is that people are going to come by up the old homes and kick people out. And they weren't aware of them even doing it. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is, what do you feel, do you think that is possible to change our education system? Do you think that it is possible for us to change the books when we are still a country led by white men for the most part? So how do we get our stories and accurate stories of the people that are white into our textbooks, into the school system, because that's really where the knowledge begins and where the lie begins is in our schools. Like, how do you think we can get these conversations into schools? White people need to be speaking up. White people need to go to their administration. White people need to be, that's why our, our, our third and final step at P2P is amplify the voice of the people of color. So mm-hmm. that's, that's what it means to show up. Like, if you really want to show up, you need to go to your administration and say, hey, why are we not teaching accurate history in school? Hey, we need to we need to bring up these subjects. Hey, you know, the school can really help with um, racism in this country if you teach kids accurate history. Because the way that history is taught right now, it actually, it perpetuates white supremacy. It perpetuates mm-hmm. um, the idea and belief that white people are better than black people. Mm-hmm subconsciously and not even so subconsciously when you only talk about black people in the sense that they were in that that, that they were slaves um or and 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 even that even even using that language is really problematic um Insult. schools need to be saying enslaved people because the africans weren't slaves they didn't they weren't born slaves they weren't slaves in africa they were enslaved and mm-hmm. when you just slaves you dehumanize them People don't mm-hmm. understand how powerful those words are. And a kid doesn't understand that by calling someone a slave, it's dehumanizing them. But that's where they're going to continue to act towards the Black people around them because that's all their frame of reference that they know. But it's up to white people to, um, um, like I said, amplify our voices and push for, for push for their school's administration to say, hey, you know, I don't, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my child in your hands eight hours a day or seven hours a day five days a week for nine months out of the year for 18 years out of their life. Yeah. Um, That's what they're learning. And right. And so parents, I believe have much more power than they, than they believe, than they probably think that they do. Mm-hmm. And saying, um, you know, what is the school doing about, you know, teaching accurate history so we can actually all be better Americans to one another. Um, because if it were up to us, we would already have our stories in books. That's yes. why I always try to explain to white people, if it were up to us, we'd already have equality. If it were up to us, we, our stories would already be there. So it's up to you to do the right thing and examine your own racial biases. Mm-hmm. And again, amplify our voices. That is what it means to show up. They need to be the ones to go and demand that those changes be made. I, I am so with that. Personally, I am so, I, we started an organization in Nashville called the Nashville Action Committee, and it's small movements that people can do every, once a week to enact change, enact social change. And someone said to me, well, how do you think that's going to work? I'm like, well, they're white. And so I need people to talk. I need people to be doing actions weekly, daily to, to change our structure to change our education, to change the way we view plantations, which is like what I'm doing this week. I'm writing to plantations and talking to cities because I don't believe that plantations should be used as wedding venues. I don't believe that plantations should be used as places for cocktail hour. Um, I think that it is disgusting to be on a place where people died, um, not by choice, where people were were taken and then to use it to profit and that money's not going back to the black community (laughs) 
that money is not, they're not even using that money to help people that are black. I mean, I say this besides like the Whitney plantation. I know that they do tell an accurate story, but I've gone on a few tours and none of them are accurate stories of what mm -hmm. a plantation really was. They are all very, very whitewashed. And no matter what anybody tells you on a plantation tour, the slaves were not treated well. The people yeah. that were there were not treated well and they were not there by choice. In Nashville, they say that they were there by choice. And I've had a lot of words with that plantation and said they were not there by choice. And, when and you, what did they say when you say? They've said, well, we, our history is that they, they freed them and they stayed. And they say it like that. They, we, when they freed the slaves, they, they chose to stay. I'm like, people chose to stay with, with no knowledge of how to be in this world. They had no education. They couldn't read. If you don't give people the tools to progress, then of course they're going to stay. There are people that stay in abusive relationships because they, your brain changes by being enslaved. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, so by telling people on these tours, a bunch of white people that come on these tours and telling them that the slaves were treated well, that the slaves chose to stay, you are minimizing what happened in this place. Gosh. Did it just freeze? I think it froze. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yes. Oh. Let me try to move where it's not frozen. There we go. There we go. So, gonna move back. There we go. That's what happens when you're outside. Apologize. Yeah. <laughs> Apologize. <laughs> so, it is um, by. Oh, I just put a filter on me and I didn't mean to do that. Um, I've said these things and I've worked. Wow, there are those filters going up. There we go. Um, I have said to them and I've, and I've keep writing to them and I've had people say to them, I'm like, if you're going to keep these tours going, which I a hundred percent think you should not. I think if you're going to keep this venue open, it should be a historical venue that teaches an accurate history of slaves. Then you should donate your proceeds and your profits to a cause that actually benefits black people and the black story. And they have denied it. And they have ignored it, but I will keep going and I will keep trying because I think it is horrid that the culture of the South raises up plantations. It is a culture. There are people that go and spend money there. So I also tell people, I'm like, watch where you spend your money. Yeah. Watch yeah. organizations that you're spending your money with. Realize your money is power. Mm -hmm. Your money will force change mm -hmm. um, where you are. If you don't go there and you don't go there to drink your wine, they will realize, wait, we don't have as many people coming here. What are we doing right. wrong? Right. And that is the way to get businesses to change as well. Your dollar matters. Well, and that's, that's, that's what showing up is. We, you know, we tell people like you need to show up where you are and you need to do it in all the spaces. Like look at where you, look at where you hang out, look at where you shop. Um, look at those, the, the racism in your school where you work. Um, and you, in your friend group, and your family, like you need to be calling it out wherever, wherever you see it. Um, mm -hmm. That's show. That's what showing up is. Um, you know, if you are, you know, if I don't know, if you want to buy something, you know, buy buy a product. Like you know, there are a billion black owned businesses that 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 you can buy from. You know. I'm really trying to stop buying from Amazon because I like I yes. go and try to find find you know whatever what, whatever item it is you know go to the actual person's store who's who's buying it you know we need to be very mindful of that because again this country people don't understand that capitalism was born out of slavery mm -hmm. because yes. for 250 years they had free labor I mean the the rate at which white wealth was built in this country 
is phenomenal. Yeah. Because they had free labor for 250 years. And so when slavery ended, it was a serious blow to American economics. Serious, serious blow. They were mm -hmm. able to mass produce at basically free. So yeah. they wanted to keep up that mass production. And it literally turned into capitalism. This this idea of, of, of mass production um, and getting the work done at a lower cost. Yeah. You don't become you don't become a billionaire without someone being exploited. You don't become a billionaire without without someone somewhere not being able to make enough money to to feed their families. Yes. People need to understand the correlation between slavery, capitalism, continued enslavement, and making being very intentional and in where you spend your dollars. Mm -hmm. Because there are people again, capitalism, slavery. Um, when you look at it now, capitalism and mass incarceration, like I said earlier, how many organizations are still using prison labor, which is primarily made up of black men, prison labor to do their work for free. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's I, all about money. It's all, it, it always goes back to how can we profit as much as we can off of black bodies? Because even though slavery ended, these white men had no plans on actually ending slavery. No, no, they just changed what it looked like. They changed the, um, the confines of it. And I look and sure. I go, why, when we, when you are speaking out, it's going to be uncomfortable and you're, and changing the balance is going to, ch it might cost you a little bit more. Like not shopping at Amazon might cost you another dollar, but what yeah. are you representing with that dollar? Right. Like I always say, people are like, why? Like, I'm going to buy these books. I'm like, well, just don't buy them from Amazon. I'm like, there's right. a lot of bookstores. There's right. a lot of bookstores. They'll still ship free. Like, they want the right. business. There's a lot of Black-owned bookstores. If you can't do Black, buy local. Like, there are places. Bezos doesn't need our money. And Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Um, there are, like, I even go with hair products. Like, I try to buy hair products that are Black-owned. And I've tried to switch it because there's a lot of places to buy curly hair products. But I'm like, I'm going to, I don't want somebody else profiting off the fact to try to fix my hair. I'm going to go to a black owned company. And it's been a slow process to even like do the research to find the companies. Oh, they also hide that. I mean, now it's getting a little bit more open and people are trying to share. But if you're going to go buy a shirt that says Black Lives Matter, please don't buy it from a white person's Etsy shop. Like, right, 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 we, right. Exactly. Like, Please look at where the money is going because we are far behind on generational wealth. We are far behind the curve. And the mm -hmm. only way to catch up, the only way to catch up is to own and for and to spend our money in the direction of black owned businesses. And we mm -hmm. still won't catch up. But the only no, way to profit what it'll take two hundred and thirty or two hundred and fifty years for black Americans to get caught up to white wealth because of how much was kept from them. Mm -hmm. Um, and because we didn't get reparations because we never, you know, because black people did not get their 40 acres in a mule because they would build black towns. People don't know that white, literally mm -hmm. mobs of white people would go through and literally burn down black towns. Yes. Literally talk about, let's talk about rioting. Let's talk about looting. If we really want to do that, let's mm -hmm. talk about the 1921 Tulsa riots when a mob of angry white people came in and burned down one of the most affluent black neighborhoods that has ever existed in America because they were upset and mad at these black people. How dare they be successful? Yeah. How dare they be successful? And they burned it down. 300 black people died. Yeah. I think 800 black people were injured and the town was just literally demolished. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you have a president who was, right. And then you have a president who was trying to hold his rally in the same town. People don't understand how much of a white supremacist this guy is. He, the president of the, of the United States. So, you know, it's it's just, you know, people need to understand the history of this country and that, you know, at every step of the way, not only were we oppressed, but things were literally taken from us. Mm -hmm. And totally that is why, like, I, I'm a, a thousand percent in, in support of reparations. Would I get reparations? No, because my family is from Ghana. Yeah. I'm first generation African. I wouldn't get a dime and I wouldn't expect to get a dime. But black Americans are owed that. Reparations, I, my, 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 my business partner, Melissa, was just telling me, she goes, you know, reparations are, 
think about it. When you when you file a lawsuit, mm-hmm. that's reparations. Yeah, reparations is just about repairing what you've broken. Yeah, and when and I think about apartheid, your- they apologized and they changed the legislation in Africa for the racism that happened, and we have done nothing but perpetuate it. And because this country is, this country is not ready to. Again, there are too many organiz- there are too many organizations and corporations who are profiting off of black bodies. They're not ready to have that discussion. Yeah. They're not ready to to talk about what happened and reconcile and heal together. Um, the healing is coming no matter what because people are fed up. But at a systemic at a systemic level and at, from the very top, this country is not ready to, to to look at those things because that would mean they would have to maybe give up some of their money. And again. This country was not built on an on on ideas of it's a lie. They had no that it's just it's just not even it's just it's just a flat out lie. Um, they only meant freedom for land owning white men. Mm-hmm. That was it. That was it. It was all about building white wealth, and that is the same story today. Yes, and I'm gonna move because they're um, drilling over there. Um, I would say also about them taking land. Um, I saw somebody mention in the comments and I wanted to, to just further say Seneca Village where the Central Park is. Mm-hmm. There was Central Park destroyed a whole community to be able to have that park for white people to hang out. Yeah. They destroyed homes mm-hmm. to get that park. So just, I think when you know your history and if, our, if we were actually truly ready at our root to change, we wouldn't be able to have our president be our president. Like people would be so disgusted if they actually saw um, mm-hmm. what he is and what he represents and what the people around him represent. But the fact that he even has still people supporting him and doing stuff shows me that I'm like, oh, we're not ready to get rid of our money. We're not ready to no. fully change, which is why we have to start with people using their voices because to get to that level, you have to start somewhere. But mm-hmm. we aren't ready for the level of change that this country needs, which is, I always say, we're in surgery and we're, it's cancer. And now we are trying to free ourselves from all the cancer. But there's no reason to, like, to keep wanting to sew us up. They're like, oh, we, you're going to be fine. Let's sew you up. I'm like, no, let's get all the stuff. Let's discuss mm-hmm. all the stuff. Let's see how long it takes. And then we can heal because we're not ready for healing. We're not ready to to start feeling better because there's still so much cancer in us. There's still mm-hmm. so many things wrong. When you think about mass incarceration, when you think about our education system, when you think about the rise of white supremacy, which I don't even want to use the rise because it's been there. It's mm-hmm. just people are noticing it. But people have been being hung and the KKK and everything has been there. It mm-hmm. is... I am very aware of my color when I go to small towns and when I perform in small towns. And I have family that is very fearful that if I went missing, because that kind of stuff is happening daily. It's just not everything is shot on camera. Mm -hmm. Not everything is um, videoed. And even the videos, I think the only reason George Floyd affected us is because he wasn't shot. Because people are numb to the shooting. People are numb to to that, which is sad. And not, I don't want to say everybody, but right. the mass amount of people are numb to people dying that way. So it doesn't affect them. But when you see somebody die for an extended period of time, that does hit you a little harder because you're actually yeah. feeling the feeling. Um. But I just want to say I appreciate you for, for the work that you do and the, and your business partner for the work that you do to have the hard conversations and to continue to have the conversations that a lot of people aren't willing to have and to have them before they were trending. Like right. that's the thing. Cause this is, we're going into an, we're in an election year. We are in a pandemic, two pandemics, um, pandemic physically and of racism and this isn't something that's going to be solved in a year this isn't something that's going to be solved in five years 
This isn't, this is changing the whole way that we work in this country on mm -hmm. every level. So it's a long fight. So I said, guys, this isn't, this isn't a trend. This isn't a hashtag. This is my life. This mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter is not, um, it's not a trend. And that's the biggest thing I want people to realize. I've heard people say, well, those Black Lives Matter people, like they're talking about their lives. When they're talking about reparations, they're talking about their lives and their ancestors' lives, the ancestral trauma that they have faced for generations, the lack of wealth that they have faced, the lack of wealth they still continue to face. And unless people that are white speak about it, it affects every single race. Just because you're holding down one race, if you're holding down one race, you're holding down everyone. That's what I feel, truly except for the people that are rich and they want you to feel like you're going to get money or, or success. But really people that are racist don't want to share that wealth either. They don't want to show that wealth with somebody that's poor. They just want you to believe that you have an opportunity, but you really don't have that opportunity. So it's, it behooves everyone to speak out on a local level and do what you can in your society beyond Instagram, beyond Facebook. Um, it's about telling your friend that's racist or your parent that says something, a joke, a black joke, or that it's wrong. It's about not telling me I'm exotic, not saying that I talk white, saying, oh, because white is not a way to talk. That's not a true, white is not real. <laughs> that's yeah. what I'm saying, I'm like, I don't talk white. Um, I'm like, I just talk the way I talk. Mm -hmm. And my, yeah. so I appreciate you for, for taking the time and coming onto my platform and sharing with the people that are on my platform, your story. And I'm just so thankful that your business partner sent that, sent that tweet and got people to see that action. And it started even a few years ago, started the conversation and the conversation is going to keep going. It's going to keep going. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. Keep going. Yeah. And I hope that we can talk again as this, this all continues as we see how the way this country goes. And I, I hope you're. Thanks for listening to this episode of Jacques Talk. Feel free to follow me, Stephanie Jacques at Stephanie Jacques Music or Michelle at her personal Instagram or Privilege to Progress.